Hello and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two thirty-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Keith McLeod and with me is my fellow host, Chris Lavender. Today on Alive or Just Blethering, I'll be taking us through Infest by Papa Roach. Good evening, Mr. Lavender. Good evening, Mr. McLeod. How are you? I'm good, man. How how the heck are you? I'm I'm absolutely stunned that we are back for a second episode. We are back for a second episode. Did you notice I said heck there? Oh, you, you, you're turning down the cuss words, are you? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I think some <laughs> feedback from the first episode was, you swear a lot. So I am going to try and uh, not be that guy. And stop saying the word like. I mean, the target audience is probably going to be in their 30s, so I hope they don't mind the odd F word. And the album we're talking about today contains it's an, contains enough explicit language. So, really, this tar- this show is not for kids. It's fucking deal with this, it. This show is not for kids. <laughs> Mostly because uh, we're talking about when we were kids. Um, yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm not going to not, not swear. I'm just going to try and not use the word like. Is like that what a heck comma. For, Is that heck for you? And that and yeah, heck or gosh or golly or jings. Jings. I don't know. We'll jings try that. Well. Jings works well. Right, so we're talking about Lost by Devil Soul to Soul, right? <laughs> we were last time. Uh I, Jings. I'm just really digging that album. I've just all I've listened to for the last like week is is either Infest or Lost. That's that's quite the swing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's a good balance. Good balance. Good. Well, can we talk about Infest today? Um, we'll get it on on record. What we uh, right. what what we are, what our feelings are on this one in twenty twenty one. I mean, just we don't we try not to talk too much about this in between. But you've been giving me some some you've not you've been giving me not a lot to go on. So I can I can t- I feel this is going to be a pretty um or or maybe an equal conversation about the album. Um, some positive and and some negative, but um. Yeah, will we get will we get into the nitty gritty? Yeah, you you kick us off. So tell tell me, right. I've not got my bloody notes up. Oh my god! Tell, tell you what, what, what would you like me to tell you? Where does where, where any story should start at the beginning? At the beginning, Papa Roach is an American rock band from Vacaville, <laughs> Vacaville, Vassaville, Vacaville, Whackaville, Whackamore, Jackaville, Jackaville. Is that a soft G with a V? Vacaville, California, formed in 1993. There you go. First point of conversation. Whoa. I didn't realize they were that old. Wow. Yeah. 1993. So, wow. That, that's actually taken me by, by surprise. I've not looked into this band in the slightest. Like, usually I, I do a bit of digging around before these shows. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of knew that. But I'm not going to play that game today. I've not read up on this album other than literally listening to it maybe more times than I should have in 2021, making the making their Spotify royalties pay for themselves this year. But I I am genuinely shocked at that, that they've been together since 1993. So that's that's a good seven years of mm-hmm. I'm I'm assuming hard work. I mean to, they did they did form in, in high school. 
um, they, they, they were mostly friends at school. Um, so at what point, at what age they were, I could do the math, I'm not going to. Um, so I don't know what age they were in 1983, but um, they, they definitely started in high school. Um, the original lineup was consisted of lead vocalist Jacoby Shaddix. What's his name at the moment? His name is, his name is Jacoby Shaddix, and that is his birth name. Okay. But it still throws me because when the band came out and is referenced on certain songs, he's under the name Kobe Dick. So it's it, Jacoby still throws me. I don't. It doesn't sit well with me. But that's the man's name, so we're going to call him Jacoby Shaddix. Jacob. Um, okay. Yep. Guitarist <laughs> Jerry Horton, drummer Dave Buckner, and with bassist Will James, uh, and trombonist Ben Luther. That's right. Papa Roach started as a ska band. That explains. That explains something later on. If if anyone hasn't listened to Infest in more than. 15 years as it was in my case there is a there's a there's a curveball shall i say about mm-hmm. towards the end of the album or the end of the album the official end of the album which uh yeah i didn't like i <laughs> didn't like yeah. it at all i know where we're going with that they, they start they started as a ska band i don't think it's fair to say that at this point with the trombonist jerry horton was in it i think i read there was a really good metal hammer metal hammer Metal Hammer article. Metal Hammer. Um, given that it's the 20th year anniversary um, with, with Co- Jacoby, um, where it talks about um, they had to convince Jerry to come over. Like he was from a different school. He didn't okay. really like what I think he was in his Metallica and, and, and stuff, and he wasn't really into what they were doing. But, you know, they eventually got him into the band, and he's still there to this day. Also, <laughs> shout out to Jerry Horton for playing Schechter because I fucking love Schechters. Well, he, I mean, the Schechter was the, uh, that was the new metal king right up there. With, well, probably the Schechter was the, the new metal queen aside PRS's new metal king, would you say? Like that PRS. Yes. Yeah, probably. Yeah, now that's fair to say. Yeah. Like, I've still got my uh, my first Schechter four string. My stiletto four. Very nice. Custom stiletto studio four. Looking. I, anyway. I do, yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember Schechter guitars being heavily featured in many, many new metal videos. I think he still but, plays Schechter. So the, the, he was basically the heavy metal fan joining a ska band? Am I am I reading that right? From what I have read and maybe just said back to you there, yeah, yeah. Um, Kobe Jacoby started off. Uh, he was he he originally started playing drums. So him and Dave were friends, and they sort of played drums together and realized, well, you're not gonna have a band of two drummers. That's not gonna work. So Jacoby uh, picked up a bass, but I think he also played clarinet at school. So wow. had a bit of maybe a woodwind, woodwind classical influence there, but um, yeah, they got um, they, they they had their this person Ben Luther as a trombonist, but that obviously didn't didn't last very long, um, and then once Will James left at some point, they had um, their actual ba- the you know the, the the standing bass player uh, Tobin Esperance come in. And that's Wonderful. basically the lineup hasn't changed other than the original drummer Dave Buckner leaving due to substance abuse. Oh, I mean, that should be a recurring theme for many of the albums we discuss. Eh? Yeah, there's there's a bit of a there, there's a bit of a stereotypical um, story to, to sort of Papa Roach. Like they had very, um, you know, once, once they kicked off, they, they, they went hard and, you know, young guys playing all over the world 
on a massive label and yeah like Jacoby's talked about it for years how he's struggled um with um alcoholism and 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 whatever um all I think are fine now all I think are through it and Jacoby's been sober for years Dave has been sober for years um so 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 good on him for fighting it but like yeah very very rock and roll beginnings for 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 such a young band totally that's that's an interesting start for for youngins um so let's say for the sake unless i unless i gloss over anything that was of of major importance between 1993 and what 99 2000 well i wouldn't mean we'll say 99 because 2000 when the album came out i think so what happened what happened then how did they get what was their break then where did where did infest manifest itself see what i did there and then when did the 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 tracks get laid Right. When did the tracks get laid? That's what she said. Um, okay, I'll. Um, I can answer that. I have those answers. Um, <laughs> do I? Where's my notes? <laughs> you're. You're. We're, we're skipping. Yeah. Okay. So um, they had done. First of all, Infest is their first. Is their second album. Okay. I also. Right. I also didn't know that. I think I've learned quite a lot about Papa Roach. Um, Sounds it. In, the, in, 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 in sort of just well, even just doing this sort of light reading. Feel free um, to rewind the clock if there's if if you feel that it's uh, going to be interesting to know, especially if there are any tracks transferred over from the first album to Infest. Well, that's leading. You must know there is. I don't actually. I just know that that's what happens. That's what happens with everybody. Yeah. So I'll come to. I'll definitely come to that. So. Cool. Um, yeah, their first album was released in 1997, self-released uh, uh, under the, the name Old Friends from Young Years. So they had basically, considering they started in 93 and we didn't really know about them until 2000, they did a shift. And those seven years, they worked their asses off. The, the article that I read on Metal Hammer, there was a story about how um, you know they did their school talent show. And... They thought they'd won it. They thought they'd smashed it. They were the best. They were the they were the only band. They were the best band. They wrote they you know did they, they did their own songs. What are they up against? The fucking someone doing gymnastics and and someone doing a mime and a dance and fuck those guys. We're totally lost. Okay. And like apparently Jacoby was crushed and all this stuff. Crushed. But you know first first piece of first piece of humble pie. I mean they're obviously still in school if they're doing the talent show. Sure. Um, but from that point on, I think it instilled a pretty good work ethic in them because they, um, yeah, they, they they did they did that first album in '97, um, which so in 1997, Papa Roach released their first album, Old Friends from Young Years. Through though the album failed to get the band a record deal, there was interest from Warner Brothers, but that also fell through. So okay. they kind of thought they were getting their break. By this point, by '97. 98 they're they're massive they're very well known in their own area okay. um like there is an underground scene there and they are like the kings of their underground scene at this point from what i understand um papa roach released papa roach released new demos in 1998 and another demo in 1999 featuring the songs last resort broken home and she loves me not really interesting do you know she do you know she loves me not that's off the n- was it off the next album? Yeah, they released. They actually released that on Love Hate Tragedy, which was their second studio, like big label release, but you know, third album in total. So, yep, they also okay. had 
they also had Invest and Dead Cell. Yep, so bef- fair enough. So yep, they, I can... between 97 and 99, they've got recorded Last Resort, Broken Home, She Loves Me Not. Well, we, we won't count She Loves Me Not. Last, Last Resort, Broken Home, Invest and Dead Cell. Cool. That's a good... I mean, that's... A, <laughs> and... In retrospect, that is probably the backbone of Infest. Definitely, hundred percent. Well, that's f- the first five of six songs, or the first sorry, yeah. the first four of the, of the first six songs. I would say it's missing one, which is my favorite track of it, which we'll no doubt we'll discuss later. But yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty solid to have. What would what you could consider as a a good EP if you were going to go down that route. You can see why they got noticed if that was the stuff they were pushing out, you know, before their major release. Totally. And to say that we talked about Linkin Park last week and we had the twentieth anniversary and, you know, you heard all the iterations that their stuff went through as like zero and, and, and hybrid theory and whatever to then finally become mm-hmm. Linkin Park and, and the album. Yeah. It, it it it's not unusual. But um as their popularity popularity grew, they played gigs supporting Deftones. And I initially read this in the way I'm about to say it, but I might have got it the wrong way round. So they definitely supported Deftones because Deftones were apparently local to that area as well. But I initially read this as they then played gigs in their area supported by bands like Incubus and Snot. That, you know what? Depending on your area, if, you, if you're saying that Papa Roach were as respected in their local scene as as they were that wouldn't surprise me if a touring band that maybe was less well known at the time or just was just not making the ticket sales i don't know what the year was but bands like incubus could well have been on the same trajectory as them but just in a different in a different area or i mean california is a big state yeah so, so yeah yeah exactly that's how i understood it i then read on a different site that they supported Incubus. Okay. Not the other way around. So either way, they're playing with Deftones, they're playing with Incubus. I know of Snot. I don't know Snot. Were they particularly big at the time? Not something I'm familiar with, I'm afraid. Right, cool. So, yeah, Incubus and Snot were already signed by this point. So you kind of hit the nail on the head. California is a big state. So Vacaville is North California. It's actually north of San Francisco. Incubus being from LA, that's a six-hour drive. So Incubus were driving six hours from LA to play Vacaville with Papa Roach. Hence, like, you know, that's what you're saying. Like, they were playing with bigger bands in the area to, to get their own um, message across. So, yeah, I throw that into the example of looking at, like, Britain, probably just for its size comparison to California. 600 miles, that's that's equivalent of, like, driving from Birmingham to Glasgow. Would that be about right? Maybe even more than that. No, Maybe you're Lond- more London. Like, yeah, yeah, it's you're not more, yeah. Like, you're more like London to Edinburgh, more like London to... Um, Dundee yeah. or something. So imagine a band from Edinburgh going down south to London. They are always going to be, depending on the size yeah. of that band and what their local pull is, there might be the opportunities that they might say, you know what, we're swapping the headline around. They might have done a, um, it, who knows, without being part of those conversations, you'll never know what, what could happen, but they might have been doing like a, we'll let you, we'll support you if you come down and you support us. Yeah, um, yeah, gig share and stuff like that. Yeah, gig totally. share, yeah, totally. I mean, this is, we always think of these bands 
from the moment that we, we hear, hear of them. So by the time we heard Papa Roach, it was playing on Kerrang! and MTV2 in, another, in another country. And it was like, it was just this amazing wave of, of music just came across the Atlantic in 2000, 2001, and it just changed everything for, for me anyway. But Oh, yeah, 100%. It was, I mean, we have to think, and this is why I think it's really great that you brought up that they they started really slogging away at it and they worked hard and they had that DIY ethic, which I think a lot of musicians today don't have that same sort of ethic. That I think certainly even, even I say today, even when I was playing in bands, there was bands that just seemed to have this sort of attitude that I should be big tomorrow you know, and not putting the, the effort in and not putting that, not grinding a bit. There is a lot of grinding that goes with music and there's a lot of grinding that gets you into the, you know, into the right spheres, gets you into the right groups, the record companies, the video channels, which were huge in our time, probably not so big today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think that's, I think it's really good that they, they actually did, did the work and they were friends. I, I think that's something I, I always seem to forget, especially when we talk about Lincoln Park, and you know they they were in a position after four years to hire a singer from a state in another part of the country. Yeah, these were school friends. That's that's really interesting. That's good to know. It's always something I pick up on in, in sort of oh, do, I, do I say respect or, or or whatever? You know, if I look at a band's Wikipedia page and it's just like the same four guys for the last like 15, 20 years or girls or whatever, like that immediately to me is like they're clearly doing something they enjoy. Like they're 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 clearly I mean maybe maybe they're just really enjoyed their job, you know, maybe they're just in it for the money and it works for them. I don't fucking know. But like um, an album I'm definitely going to talk about later on, and 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 it's it's always been a red flag to me um, as a band. Dare I say, like still remains, where still remains had an amazing first album, as far as I'm concerned, of Love and Lunacy is incredible, and then half the band members change, and then they put out the serpent, and then they broke up. You know that stuff to me is red flags, and it sort of identifies those probably issues there that. The mm. studio tried to like, yeah. I don't know, like pat plaster over or or fix or whatever, and it just it just didn't just didn't work. So yeah, it's seeing that these guys have been majority of majority of them have been together since nineteen eighty three is it's pretty cool. That's oh, cool. So how did they get onto? How did they get onto my TV screen? How what what changed in in the late nineties that got their nineteen ninety seven self made self released album and the the re recorded songs onto the big you know onto the big stage what was the what was the uh driving force for that so well they were the driving force as we're saying you know they they were the guys doing the graft um once they sort of done their demos in 98 and 99 they toured i'm not supposed to, i'm not sure on where they toured but they toured um and with their underground fan base in california um and due to the success of the 1999 demo, let them know, um, they were heard by producers Tim and Bob, and Papa Roach were signed to Dreams, Dream, DreamWorks Records. Okay, let me stop you there. So there's, there's a lot to unpack in that sentence. Yeah. Tim and we're Bob. first. Do Tim and Bob have surnames? They do. Or, I can talk or is it about one person? Bob. <laughs> or is it, no, I'm or gonna, is it Tim, Tim and Bob? I think it's so I'm going to... 
I'm going to talk about Tim and Bob because I knew nothing about them and I find it fascinating that they were involved, in fact, quote, instrumental in getting Papa Roach signed to DreamWorks. And then I want to come back and talk about DreamWorks because that's also fucking interesting. You mean DreamWorks is in the people that, just, just to bring up DreamWorks, you mean DreamWorks is the people who made Shrek, right? Literally. DreamWork, Fantastic. DreamWorks Pictures had a recording arm called DreamWorks Records. DreamWorks Records. So they weren't going to make an Ants sequel called Papa Roach and they accidentally signed a band or something like that? No, I think they were going to make a sequel to Ants and there was going to be a character called Papa Roach. Wow. But then it, but then it never went ahead. Damn it. That would have been so good because Ants was fine. I had no problem with Ants. I think Ants was a great movie and I think we should start another podcast talking about movies. But anyway, back to Papa Roach. Yeah, and you want to start off with one about Woody Allen? Mm, okay. That movie has so much to talk about. I don't want to even get into it. <laughs> right? Maybe we do need to. The, the Ants versus Bug li- Bugs Life is, is a oh, yeah. topic yeah, yeah, yeah. for an entire different podcast. Anyway, back to right. Papa Roach. <laughs> ba- back to Papa Roach and back to music and back to Tim and Bob. So Bob. I didn't know who Tim and Bob were. I 100% can admit that. Never heard of them. And I don't know, but I have definitely heard them, if that makes sense. So Tim and Bob, Tim Keeley and Bob Robinson, also known as Functwons, Functwon, F-U-N-K-T-W-O-N-S, <laughs> Functwons. That sounds like something you would order in a fusion Chinese restaurant. Right? Right? Yeah. Totally. Two, two, uh, can, I, can I get a, a fried rice, uh, the uh, sweet and sour chicken, and yeah, some of your, your custom... Functwons. I'll have a couple of veggie functwons, please. Couple of, yeah, a couple of veggie ones, yeah, because I'm Why not? watching my figure. Why not? I mean, I just thought, I was thinking, like <laughs> a, what was I thinking? What are those crispy roll things? Wontwons. Spring rolls. Thank you. I was thinking spring rolls. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> functwons. Right, so Tim Keeley, Bob Robinson, were a songwriting and production duo. Tim and Bob have discovered and or worked on some of the biggest artists in the music industry and have helped develop the Atlanta music scene as it is widely known for today. Now, I'm not particularly familiar with the Atlantic music scene. But you mean Atla- Atlanta, the city? Sorry, Atlanta. I said Atlantic, didn't I? Yeah, okay. the Atlanta music scene. Um, they have won three Grammys amongst 12 nominations and have sold more than 400 million albums worldwide, making them one of the most successful producing duos in music history. So we've already got Papa Roach in Northern California. Mm-hmm. The Funktuan... Tim Bob and Bob... And... Yeah, Tim and Bob sort of took a production deal with DreamWorks. So they were essentially looking to work with or they, they you know they, they would essentially produce okay. artists for dreamworks so they heard the 1999 let them know demo and said we're signing these guys to dreamworks did dreamworks do anything with their music i'm now i'm intrigued now you've now we've started to draw in a movie studio i'm yeah i'm we'll, interested we'll, we'll talk did- about what happened with that? Yeah. We'll talk about DreamWorks as well. So, uh, Tim and Bob, um, they're among the most consistent urban producers of the last 18 years, uh, earning a spot on the Billboard's top 10 list of producers almost every year since 1998. So I just think that's incredible that... Since 98. Since, yeah, since 1998, these guys have basically been in the top 10. Wow. They did... That's, they did that's part, worthy They did part ways. They... Um, 
I don't have the tab in front of me. Uh, I think 2000... Oh, I do, Tim and Bob. Um, they sort of, yeah, parted ways in 2014. So they worked pretty solidly from, 2019, uh, from 1993 to 2014. Uh, and then from 2014, they sort of went solo. But, yeah, they were in-house producers for... Dreams work records. Now I didn't. I'm fully aware of the, the film studio, but I wasn't aware of this recording arm. So neither were you. So no, not at all. But so so who, name name some huge, um, defining genre defining artists that uh, Tim and Bob produced for if they were so. Oh my god! I so damn good at their job. All right, I'm of course just going to ask that. <laughs> well, I didn't write it down, so I'm just going to have to pull off other Wikipedia here. Associated acts: Destiny's Child, Beyonce, Will Smith, Boys to Men, Michael Jackson, Jennifer Lopez, Nas, Mary J. Black. Do I need to keep going? Lionel Richie. No, you don't. Earth, you Wind, don't. and Fire. Yeah, Hilary Duff. Monica. The boy is mine. Um, yeah, that's. Okay, so a lot of a lot of um, late nineties R and B. That's what I'm catching off that. That's fair. Okay, and then obviously moving from Destiny's Child to Beyonce, that's taking it into the early two thousands, uh, even early two thousand tens. Yep, they've pop worked and everything. Wow, they worked DreamWorks. They worked with Def Jam. They worked with BMG. So yeah, these guys. Yeah, not to be sniffed at. Yeah. Not to be sniffed at, that that seems pretty damn impressive in my book, so I wanted to give them a shout out. Um, and then I had to do a little bit of a uh, an investigation into DreamWorks pictures. So, like you said earlier, DreamWork, DreamWorks, um, you know, did Shrek, Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, a lot of animated movies. They were sort of, dare I say, like your, your diet Pixar. I mean... The reason their reason for existing was in a direct um, middle finger to Disney. I think so. I think that's in right. fact, it was it was Katzenberg. It was it was they were founded by an ex Disney exec who. I'm so glad you said Katzenberg. Scolded. Right, Dreams Work Records was an American record label founded in 1996 by David Geffen, Steven Spielberg, and Jeffrey Katzenberg. So you're fully aware of Katzenberg, right? Yeah. Yeah, right, he cool. is. He is the man that <laughs> he is the man that just wanted to stick it to Disney so hard, so so hard. Do you know why? Because he was originally at Disney. Like that's where he started. That's where he made his name. He was a producer yeah. at Disney on Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, like some mm-hmm. of, some of their biggest films. Was, I don't know why it, though. Um, if if I if I can recall rightly, it's it's. It's over technology. He wanted to move towards this more computer anim, or, or was it move towards or move away from the computer animated stuff? But either way, he, he obviously teamed up with with Spielberg to get some some money going on these things. Um, Spielberg, he had his own producing studios, um, and yeah, it was it was just a, a direct competition to them. And some of the DreamWorks stuff that came out. Yeah, you you used the word diet there earlier. Um, diet Pixar. Very much some of their earlier efforts were, shall we say, diet, diet Disney movies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even their animated stuff. Uh, they've 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 
yeah, they've tackled some things, and I think it didn't. They didn't really, really, to me anyway, really smash out of the park until Shrek. And Shrek right. was just an entire dig at Disney. The whole movie is a massive middle finger to Disney. The whole of Shrek is. That's what it is. It's about the anti-hero, the um, Lord Farquhar. He's um, um, yeah, the, the prince or whatever. Uh, Eisner. Uh, who's Ike Perlmutter? Whoever, whoever was in charge of Disney, but name escapes me. The no, I'm, I know who you're talking about. Eisner, is it Eisner? Mike Eisner. Yeah, this is a music <sighs> podcast, right? This is a music podcast, and we're talking about movies again. So anyway, DreamWorks Records. What was the what was the inspiration behind having a record label associated with the the movies? Michael Eisner was an American businessman and former chairman and chief executive CEO of the Walt Disney Company, September 1984 to 2005. That's Lord Farquhar. Next That's time you, amazing. next time you watch Shrek, which will be tomorrow now, yeah, you will remember that. That is that is it. It is a caricature. The Lord Farquhar is a caricature of him. Yeah, I can even see the hair. You said Michael Eisner. I thought Bob Iger, and Bob Iger has just stood down. But um, I said Ike Perlmutter, who I'm sure. Uh, has done the Disney TV stuff. I have no anyway, idea. Yeah, that's podcast. Getting, that's getting podcast. into a completely different realm. So, well, that is it, basically. Um, I was going to go on to talk about how Jeffrey Katzenberg also most recently was known for Quibi. Oh, God, yeah. Wow, there was a disaster waiting to happen right there. Yeah, yeah. Let's just watch television uh, in portrait mode in, you know, eight to ten minutes segments that's youtube mate it sounds like youtube yeah every time i read the description i'm like i can do that with youtube why would i it was i mean i think the concept there's 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 clearly an idea in there which is to have a mobile friendly platform for i think the idea was to have short eight to ten minute like episodes or movies broken down into these these chapters that you could watch on the bus, that you could watch on the train. Mm-hmm. COVID, which happened, COVID was a thing, meant that people weren't taking the bus or the train anymore. So Netflix subscriptions went through the fucking roof. But then at the same time, and I'm totally ripping this from a different podcast, but at the same time, you're right, the pandemic hit, so people started to consume more online streaming content, and Quibi still landed on its arse. Like, it imploded spectacularly. So they had some big names on it, they had some people doing some some, some proper shows on it, but yeah, it's um, ultimately it failed miserably. But um, that was Quibi, that was Jeffrey Katzenberg, he's still got way more money than us. Um, DreamWorks Records was a subsidiary, subsidiary, subsidiary of DreamWorks Pictures. They operated until two thousand three, until it was sold to the Universal Music Group. Right. Okay. Two thousand three. Yep. Yeah, it's not a record label anymore. They actually ran until two thousand six because they created a country music branch. Oh, I mean that's a that that's basically another genre. Yeah, because it was it was DreamWorks Nashville, I think it was called, and that ran until two thousand six. But DreamWorks Records itself stopped until stopped at two thousand three. Like country music, may as well not be music. I, I'm not going to shit on it because that's too easy. But I will say that there's movies, there's music that most people consume, 
and then there's Nashville country music. I it's would it. say, I would say, go listen to Bo Burnham pandering, and that's everything you need to know about country music. It's honestly just its own microcosm of mm-hmm. artists, writers, singers, songwriters, you name it, and it's it's all concentrated on one single county in, in Texas or ten, so, in Tennessee. Tennessee, sorry. I wonder how many people. Um, Sorry, not how many people. I wonder what the what the economy for 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 country music is because it must be massive. Basically, from what I remember being told, and it was when Taylor Swift was mm-hmm. still was still a, a country star. She was apparently making as much money as doing her country stuff when she was literally known in that bubble as she was basically making when her first like big pop breakout came about because yeah. the the numbers are just wild we have i have no frame of reference i am not a fan of country music i am not into country music i listen to shit metal records that get 10,000 listens on spotify so i have no frame of reference right. when humblebrag <laughs> so that's how that, i i just don't have a frame of reference for country music being it's literally just so popular yeah. in a very limited space but it's that popular that it is able to sustain itself it's like that that local music scene imagine imagine there was just a glasgow edinburgh music scene that was just so good that it could just sustain itself just <laughs> through you? locals it's Why ridiculous. are you still talking about country music? Because it you've, blows my fucking mind. You've got every every time a fucking I think about hole. It. I didn't realize you were so triggered. It's not a trick, honestly. It's it's an it's absolutely respect, <laughs> right? I am not shitting on it. I don't listen to it because I don't like it. But I've got massive respect for a for the for the scene for having a scene that can look after itself, and I'm very jealous of that. You're in awe of the beast, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, DreamWorks Records got signed to Universal. That's Carry it. On. That's it. Dream, DreamWorks <laughs> Records folded in two thousand three. It became went in a Universal Music Group. Um, David Geffen went off and created his own label called Defen. Get oh, fucking hell, Defen, Defen, Geffen Records. Um, oh, yeah. famous enough. Papa Roach released um, their second album on DreamWorks, and then they released their third album on Geffen, and that's as far as I looked. I didn't look at every album they released. Okay, so, so they must have stuck with been, this guy. We, we've been on this for about half an hour now. If people have been listening, um, so infest, <laughs> we're getting there. We're, we're getting there. So we've got we've got the band around DreamWorks Records. We've got yeah. that they've been together for some some significant amount of time. We've learned that you deeply respect country music while not enjoying it. That, that is that is. That is an, a very accurate statement. I'll I'll take that one. Okay. So so infest. Anyway, carry on. Right. So we're April twenty fifth, two thousand. Infest has dropped. It was recorded. Let's go back again. October nineteen ninety nine to January two thousand, at where you mentioned last week, NRG Studios, which was where Hybrid Theory was recorded. Oh, was it the same studio? Oh, I didn't actually pick up on Infest. I thought you yeah, said that. Enough. I'm sure you said that. I may have. I can't remember. It was a week. It was over a week ago. 
Yep. Um, produced by Jay Baumgartner. That is a name I recognise. Jay Baumgartner has worked with the likes of Bush, Seven Dust, Cold Chamber, Drowning Pool, Godsmack, Three Days Grace, Your Boys P.O.D. Oh yeah, we'll be talking about them soon. Newfound Glory, Spineshank, and Alien Ant Farm. There's at least, in that entire list, there's at least three or four bands we're going to be talking about over the coming weeks. Interesting. I could maybe talk about one. I think I enjoy most of the bands in that list. I gotta I got be honest, man. I've got a weird thing for Seven Dust. I've never listened to a Seven Dust album, but I just hear some of their singles and I'm like, fuck, that's a jam. I'm going to have to give it a shout, but um, I'm going to have to give it a listen and, and see what I'm feeling on it. But there's a lot of names in there that feel very um, nostalgic, just bringing them up, because they seem to be fitting that new metal mould. So the recorder of this album, and mixer, I assume, is someone who's very well versed in that new metal aesthetic. Yeah, Jay, Jay was a producer, and yeah, he looks to have had... He's, he's hand in, in quite a lot of stuff that we, we definitely would have listened to back in the day and is probably stuff that we we would have definitely have grown up to. Um, funny you say nostalgic. I mean, that is basically the backbone of this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get there on, on some of his other stuff. I'm sure he'll come up later on. But sure. um, April 25th, 2000, Infest has dropped. Wow, finally. We're 35 here. Minute, 35 minutes into the podcast and there we are. <laughs> Probably won't be that after editing, but yep, we'll get there. Um, it was certified three times platinum in the US on July 18th, 2001, after it peaked at number five on the Billboard 200. So it didn't even make number one, but it still went three times platinum. It originally came in at number 30 and worked its way to number five. Wow, so it so, wasn't a, an instant hit. Okay. It wasn't an instant hit, but it stuck around, and I think it, 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 I, I would say it, it did pretty well. It went three times platinum. That's, I mean, yeah, you can't, can't argue with platinum. I mean, platinum is, what, is that a million sales yep. in America? So, yep. three, so three million sales. Yeah, that's, that's rock star material. You can have that. 100%. Well, lucky for them, they can have it. You're welcome. <laughs> You're, you, you can have this. I've, I've, I've definitely bought this album, so you know, you, I contributed to that. Although that was only in the US. Um, I've not got the figures for everywhere else. Uh, in an interview, the, the one I was sort of referenced earlier, Shaddix had said they expected the band to sell maybe like 150,000 cop- 150, copies max. But they went three times platinum, so they started hitting 150,000 copies a week. That's sizable. Comes is, back to, you know, first first major label debut, comes back to what I was saying earlier, how, like, these young guys, like, they, they, they rocketed. And, like, I mean, I'm sure we all remember, Last Resort was everywhere. Mm. Absolutely everywhere. So, like, I remember having conversations with guys, like, oh, can, can, can you play um, can you play Last Resort yet? I can play Last Resort. Oh, yeah, Last Resort's really hard to play. Like, and, was, <laughs> was that was that the benchmark of the day, was it, in the skate park? I was, yeah, literally the skate park. It was, it was Livy Skate Park. Thanks very much. Um, yeah, that was, like, I remember just having a conversation with a guy about learning. I know where you grew up. And I was like, dude, <laughs> then I play bass. I'm not going to fuck about playing that guitar riff. Fuck you. Um... But yeah, the band... Earned... It's not even the best riff on the album. I'm just going to point that out. It's, it's not. not even the best It's absolutely the not. Uh, the album earned the band a Grammy nomination for Best New Artist. I don't think they didn't win it. Uh, Infest has sold more than 7 million copies with, like I say, 3 million sold in the US. And it is their best-selling album to date. 
And that would have been right at the height of Napster. That would have been right up there when record companies were shitting themselves for not getting the sales that they were expecting, the numbers. They were going around and and it would have been, what, within... When Fest came out in, like, 2000, it would have been within the next two years Napster are going to start sending out cease and desist orders to people who are sharing music and creating that whole fear bubble. Yet they're still pulling in 7 million sales. Then this is where the record industry just had no sympathy for what it was doing. When it was targeting the fans, when people were, oh, you're stealing music. In my, in my eyes, I just had no sympathy for the record companies at that point. I would have paid in excess of £16 for that album as, yep. a, as a 15, 14-year-old teenager with no job. And or maybe I had a paper round. So you you know, the, there's just that level of greed that when someone gets something over you, when someone got something for free, I just had no like sympathy for you at the time as a fifteen year old with no money. Like you're trying to fleece me for more money. So so you would download a car, would you? You would download I, a handbag. I, I'd download a house, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I'd download a fucking house too, especially the price. Anyway, we're thirty somethings. It's fine. Um, yeah, no, I, I I get what you mean. Like, I, I downloaded music back in the day off of Napster and LimeWire and and whatever else. Kazaa. Like, you know, I I got the um I got the computer. What an ex family for life. Yeah, fucking <laughs> a. So yeah, you're you're right. Like, I think if there's something there about like if I'd actually spent all the money for the music I've had, like I wouldn't actually have any fucking money, but then there's also the counterpoint to that to play devil's advocate of, well, they're providing material. Like there, there is a, there's a product there at the end of the day. And like, we live in that fucking capitalist society where like, you have to exchange goods and cash and all that shit. So like, if you're not buying the records, you're not, they're not making any money. So they're not able to really continue making said records. So I get how the system works, but you're right. At, at the time, like music was pretty expensive, and back in these days, this was before. It's just probably important to highlight to anyone who might not remember, but HMV used to be like the most expensive music shop in the country, in in the UK. You yeah, would probably. always pay an extra three or four pounds for a for a CD that you bought from HMV. You had your likes of MVCs. There was our price, Coda, and Coda if you were local in Edinburgh. Um, in Newcastle, we had was Windows. Coda not national? I don't know. I never heard a coder in Newcastle. Wow. Um, we had our price and JG Windows and uh, Pet Sounds was our kind of that was my go tos anyway in in town for Newcastle. And you would always find now. Now this is where the, the difficulty lay was that those shops were a lot smaller, so they would have less stock. So you wouldn't find everything, but you knew you could go to HMV and there would be everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I suppose you're paying a, you're, you're paying a premium for that. Well, this is what you're paying. You're paying for the selection effectively, mm-hmm. but it was always at least two or three pounds more per CD. And it was just a total ripoff because they would also charge an extra pound or two pounds for ones that they'd imported from the US. So if you were, you know, keeping tabs on these upcoming artists and there was an album that not released in the UK yet, but had released in the US, 
you were paying even more just to hear it, mm. just to hear music yeah, yeah. that was already out and released. Uh, you know. Oh no, this was. I was just just had to Google that there actually. Yeah, Coda must have been a, a, a an Edinburgh thing because it didn't it doesn't seem to have been any bigger than that. Uh, I was about to refer to buying a CD import, a single import, but I actually bought it from Coda. I didn't buy it from HMV. But yeah, fair enough. Yeah, no, I I, I, I get what you're saying. So, um, so yeah, you've you've bought Infest. So this would have been we're we're, we're talking the the late. When did it come to the UK? Do we know? Was it in the late two thousands or the early two thousand one? As far as I'm aware, it was it was an open release. It was twenty fifth of April two thousand for everyone. It doesn't Be about right. Doesn't reference um, you know multiple um, releases or or you know release in the UK or Europe or whatever. Okay. Um, so so that's cool. Um, yeah, sorry, you totally, you totally got me back on track there. Um, this I found this an interesting comment to make. Um, the band only wrote three songs for the album. Apparently, who wrote the rest? Well. The band only wrote three songs, Obsession, which would later be renamed Between Angels and Insects, Blood, Brother, Blood Brothers, I cannot speak tonight, and Never Enough. However, from that interview that um, I've referred to, uh, Jacoby talks about recording Tightrope in the studio with Order singing, RJ singer Jay Gordon. He was present in the studio, and, and I think you've... That's the song you were talking about earlier. That's just fucking weird, and, and you don't like it. But I oh think god, it's so cringe. Like the whole album is this hard rock album for for from start to finish, from Infest right through the Last Resort, the riffs on Blood Brothers, Never Enough, or Never Alone. What was it? Never Enough, Never Enough. And you know the the album kind of rambles through its its play, and then Tightrope. You've got thrown away, and then tightrope's a secret track. Yeah, that thrown away tightrope, dual song, mm-hmm. bullshit. Why is it a reggae song at the end of this album? So they had. First of all, I think thrown away, uh, thrown away is great. I love that song. Like I think that song is a really good end to the album. But then you're right; it comes in at tightrope, and tightrope's weird. So from that interview. They were they were struggling with tightrope. They didn't they didn't really know what to do with it. They were trying a few things and it wasn't really working. So um, the producer Jay Baumgardner um, suggested acoustic. Pulls out an acoustic guitar and he's like, "Let's let's try this." And Jacoby wasn't for it. He was like, "Nah, we're we're a heavy band. We're an aggressive band. We're like we're a loud band. We don't we don't we don't want to fucking do acoustic. Like that's bullshit. We're not doing acoustic on this album. We're not Incubus." Hey, whoa, just bloody, bloody watch your tone there, mate. We bloody, some of us have got Incubus tattoos, all right? Some of us have got Incubus tattoos. Wow. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so um, while they're having this discussion as to how to how to sort of build this song and, and work on it, Tobin just starts doing the reggae bass line. The boop-a-doo-boo. Like, and all right. that's where it just kicked from there. Rolling my eyes. <laughs> yeah, this 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 is what I mean. Like the other guys are having conversations. He just starts playing this. Oh shit! That was the mic stand. He starts playing um, the, the sort of the reggae bass line, and it, they just worked on it from there, and and that's how it came about. So it was essentially a song they didn't know what to do with, and worked it into this sort of reggae vibe. There's another reggae vibe later on, uh, earlier on in the album. Um, is it? Snakes, excuse me, or binge. I never spotted it. 
I had some other problems with the album, but I didn't spot that earlier on. I definitely, when when I remember listening to it, I think it might be the very, very first time I'd listened to it. That, not the very, very first time, but the first time I'd listened to it in, in recent memory. And I played it through just from start to finish. And the end, it, it went onto that tightrope track. And I had to, and I had to wonder, I was just like, what, what the fuck is this? Has, has Spotify just picked a random artist and moved on to another album or what? I just had this moment of like, there was a reggae song on this album. I don't remember there being a reggae song in this album. I don't like that there's a reggae song in this <laughs> album. Why am I listening to a reggae song? And why am I talking about it several days later to a, an audience potentially? That that frightened me that there's this there's this dreadful track sitting there waiting on the mini disc that I recorded for this and I yeah. never heard it. Well, I mean, you're right. It doesn't really land a lot with me either. I kind of I can kind of dig it for what it is, but like, yeah, I, I would quite happily just like kill it after tightrope and or sorry, kill it after um, thrown away and, and, and be done with the album. But that's that's why it's there. Essentially, Tobin bass player just started jamming something out, and and they went with it. And hey, man, that's that's music. That's creativity. You you go with the flow. They've sold more the copies. They've sold more albums than I ever. Will, They've sold so. a lot more albums than you ever will. So yeah, sorry, but yeah. hard 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 truth there. Hard truth. I'll take I'll take it on that. Yeah. Um, like I say, the so. It says they only wrote three songs for the album. I think what that's meant to say is we mentioned earlier they had Infest, they had Last Resort, they had Blood Brothers, um, Broken Home, they had and Dead Cell prior okay. from from other EPs. So I think I think they had the collection of songs before it became Infest, and then for Infest they wrote Between Angels and Insects, Blood Brothers, and Never Enough, and presumably mm-hmm. Thrown Away as well. But that's that's what I understood from that. So take take that as you will. I think that's okay. kind of impressive that they essentially their material was so good prior to to actually being in house with a producer that they essentially had an album's worth of material and it was well still stands as one of the sort of bigger new metal albums to date. Yeah, that sounds. Um, I mean, the the difficulty was with me was going from listening to an album like Hybrid Theory that we talked about last week, mm-hmm. going to this. This is a much, much more raw sound. Oh, that's me being polite. The the an album, So Hybrid Theory, recorded in the same studio, but obviously produced and written and performed by... I would say much more competent artists at the time made an album that could almost be listened to today and it sounds like it was recorded yesterday. Yeah, it sounds like it was written 20 years ago, but it sounds like it was recorded yesterday. All right, so part of your... My my problem with Infest is I feel it's really poorly aged in that regard. It doesn't sound... It sounds... It sounds like it was written and recorded over 20 years ago. And there's some points within the album that I feel, they, they made me wince. They made me think, oh, oh, you left that in there, did you? And it starts right from the first song, right from Infest. 
What 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 about it? Corby can't sing the word infest. <laughs> it's it's um next time you listen to it, just realize that some auto tune would have gone a long way with that song. Wow. Um I just feel like it that that song set me off realizing for the rest of the album that there's parts of this that just don't sound well recorded. Mm-hmm. Um and that's 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 my issues with the production of the album as a whole. It doesn't sound good by today's standards, which as teenagers we probably didn't give a flying fuck about. I do not have that problem. Okay. So I I've I've enjoyed going back to this album. I have periodically over the last 21 years oh my god 21 years gone back over this album and listened to it but it's i i gotta be honest i didn't really stick with pat Roach after this like i i got love hate tragedy i actually got love hate tragedy second hand off of ebay i thought oh, wow. shit, I, I should probably i should i felt like i should own it so i think i paid like three quid off of ebay for it but we um, definitely should do a um ebay album buys well, mine's would be um, episode. Mine's would be love hate tragedy because it's the only one I ever did. But um, exactly, I only have one album I ever bought off eBay as well. Oh, sweet! <laughs> I could talk about comics. I talk. I bought a lot of secondhand comics off of eBay. Wow! No, no, not something. Anyway, I've got. Yeah. I've got a lot of old school Predator comics. So when did you first hear Papa Roach? Right. So I, I don't know. Like TV, Kerrang! Like, I don't think Scuzz okay. was was here at this point, or maybe it was just coming. But. Um, yeah, like I think I said uh, on on the Lincoln Park episode, I bought Hybrid Theory and Infest together. Like I just went down, had my pocket monies, and bought them both at the same time. And like I've even got maybe it could be one of our first first Instagram posts, but I've got a picture of me in like a Papa Roach t shirt, fourteen fifteen years old. I've got like the gelled clawed fringe. I think I've got like the metal bald necklace and i've just got this baggy papa roach t-shirt like i look like all of us at the same time <laughs> and uh, i'm pale as fuck so yeah i think i just remember last resort who, who doesn't who didn't get hooked by last resort who didn't get into to to papa roach via that song it's not my favorite song it's, it's in fact maybe because of the overplay it sort of annoys me a little bit mm. but um that comes on in a nightclub you are having the best time. Oh, you if are. you're in a nightclub, if that comes on and you've had a skinful and then that last resort comes on, I will challenge anyone our age who enjoys that song to not get up and start singing. Because you know every word. Whether you like it or not, you know every word. You're 100% right. But if you played Between Angels and Insects, I would be happier. Fair enough. That's a fair comment. I think that was the better song of the two. I would be a lot happier if you played Between Angels and Insects. Uh, I think that's pretty much my favourite song on the album. Um, Mine's Blood Brothers. Well, that's totally... I, I get that because Blood Brothers has been in my head since I've listened to it. But I think just over the years, I always went... Every, I would hear... Over the years, I would hear Last Resort and I would turn it off. If I hear Angels and Insects, I would turn it up. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. I would I would put... Um, yeah, I can see there's, there are songs that are the more famous songs that I would skip people because I'm like... I know this song. Listening to it today isn't what mm-hmm. I needed. And I'll move on. That can change from time to time. But the one that I'm 
I mean, the, the, the where I'm aiming for here is that the first time I heard Papa Roach was on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Right. Because what the remastered track, version? That just no, I just bought just bought that yesterday. But nice. the original one, the original Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 for the PlayStation, it was the f- defining moment of my um, of my music kind of discovery process. So it was very early on in the whole new metal thing. Was, this came out in two thousand, and. Mm-hmm. the amount of songs, the amount of artists that are on the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 soundtrack that you, that, that because directly because of that soundtrack, I found new artists. And one of them was Papa Roach with Blood Brothers, mm-hmm. but others from that. Now this is where I might get mixed up with either Tony Hawk's one or two, but I'm sure that also had the likes of Rage Against the Machine, Mill and Colin, The Vandals. This was all on the, this one album, which just gave me um, excellent insight into that musical world. And it was just like the, 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 the catalyst for where I went next. Yeah, no, I'm just looking at it now, actually. Um, yeah, Blood Brothers, Papa Roach, Bring the Noise, Anthrax and Public Enemy. Oh, banger. Absolute jam. Gorilla Radio, fucking hell. Rage. Uh, pin the tail on the donkey, naughty, naughty by nature. Uh, I want to oh, say bad I, religion. You bad religion. Yeah, that's on there. Y- yep. Like you, uh, oh, when, how man five thousand when worlds collide. When worlds I remember collide. when that came on, and like me and my friend who'd never heard Slipknot by this point, right? So me and my, me and my mate were just like listening to to new metal, and we were aware of what it was, and we'd listen to Papa Roach and bit of Nirvana, and we were kind of dabbling with Metallica and stuff. And then we heard the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two soundtrack, and we heard Power Man five thousand, and it's. He's got a bit of a gravelly voice. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, is that Slipknot? <gasps> like, is it a scandal? Is and this then, is this screaming? Oh my god! And and then then you then you listen to Slipknot a day or two or however many days however many days of saving pocket money later, and like no no it was not. <laughs> and I just imagine like fourteen year old me being like proper awkward as fuck realizing that it was like nope wrong band totally wrong band wrong genre <laughs> you were saying you were saying about like oh jacoby can't pronounce the word infest like we were talking he can pronounce it he can pronounce it he just can't sing it right well i don't think he does sing it maybe he just sort of shouts it or, or raps it but like no the, worse we, we talked we talked about lincoln park and their rap rock sort of contribution i don't think we ever talked about um Papa Roach or mentioned them at the time which is which was funny because I had invested in my head for for this episode but um I still I still think you're you're saying that the album sounds like it was recorded 20 years ago and you know sounds like it was written 20 years ago and sounds like it was recorded 20 years ago I I don't get that to be fair I'm I'm gonna give this album maybe a bit more credit I've I've, I've maybe stuck my nose up, up at it over the years over time but going back to it and sort of maybe even learning a bit more about it and the band, like I'm like, oh no, fuck, man, this this is a jam. I would say from Infest to Blood Brothers, is 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 great. Like I think you could put that on at, at like parties or whatever, and like you're gonna have a dance, you're gonna have a jam, you're gonna have like a little headbang or whatever, and that's gonna be cool. It it wavers in the second half. The second half of the album is distinctly weaker than the first half. It's distinctly weaker, but I think Paparoch as well themselves, like, 
Jacoby Shaddix as a man, I'm not. I don't want to diss the guy or, or comment on the person, or whatever. Like he he is who he is, but personality wise, he comes across very bold and strong, and and I think in his younger years he was overcompensating for 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 perhaps um, alcoholism or whatever. But like he's cool dude. I'll say it. Like I I, I think he's 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 maybe a bit much to take at times, but like I think he's I think he's. He's 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 very forward and, and 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 confident in himself now to go forward, and he covers some heavy shit on this album. Like I mean, Last Resort itself isn't about him killing himself. It's about his seventeen-year-old friend at the time who tr- literally tried to kill themselves. Yeah, it's it covers some really tough topics. I'll give it. I'll give it that. It, it, um, so they I'm... had the courage to do that. Is what I mean. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, if you compare it to bands of the time, so Limp Bizkit was singing just break stuff, nookie, just just heavy, riffy, kind of nonsense stuff. You know, I yeah. did. I, yeah. Then Pat Roach come along, and I suppose the the meaning, the the deeper meaning of their lyrics, especially if it related to real life stuff like Last Resort, that's quite that's hard hitting. Uh, I think the next track's Broken Home, which for all it's 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 very much in your face there's no doubt what it's about <laughs> i mean the closest i could probably say is uh in blink 182 stay together for the kids it's it's a song about your parents divorcing and yeah, the, essentially. The, the which as a 14 year old kid if you've ever been through that i've not i you know i'm i imagine it's probably the worst time that something like that could ever happen to you um, it it wasn't you... just his his parents separating; like his dad was an alcoholic, and it was about his absentee sort of father. Um, yeah. And then you've got Dead Cell. Now, I don't I don't think I knew this up until right now, or you know, up until reading about this album. But Dead Cell was about Columbine. It was about the kids who shot up the Columbine school. Was it? I didn't know that. See, I didn't read up on that. And th- this is a bit fucked that we you know claim to to love and have listened to this music for years, but. You know, we obviously take our own meanings out of the lyrics without, you know, I don't think everyone lead, reads the, the inserts and studies every song, like, and, and understands the true narrative of it. But yeah, Dead Cells about that. Um, it's pretty obvious what Between Angels and Insects is about. What it's, is it about? It's an, anti, it's an anti-capitalism song. <laughs> Fuck yeah, and I fucking love it. Like, it's... Um, I know. That's, I think that's kind of what got me with, with Papa Roach as well. Like, they're very sort of... Like, I say this now, really it's only out of two songs, maybe Invest in Between Angels and Insects, but you know, there's that sort of anti establishment sort of vibe going through them and that sort of you know fight the power, you know, to, to, to quote um who the fuck was he? Tony Hawks. Um Public <laughs> Enemy. <laughs> fight the power. Great great callback there. Um and stuff like that. And that's that's totally what hooked me. With, with, with stuff like this, I mean, the, you know, 14, 15 year old Keith was balls deep in stuff like this with Rage Against the Machine, etc. So that shit really appealed to me. Um, totally. Revenge, rev, is it, rev, yeah, Revenge is about um, some abuse he... Revenge? Is it about revenge? No, it's about abuse he received as a child. From it's a, not about revenge then. From a baby. It's about son. getting revenge for that abuse. Um, something like that. Um, it's it, really interesting that he's actually singing about things that actually happened to him. Um, it's very easy, I think. I don't I say easy. I'll take the word easy out there. It's probably 
sometimes straightforward for some artists to just make lyrics and songs that sound good mm-hmm. without actually touching on real events in their own lives or or wherever they're getting them from. And it's always I always commend artists that that actually wear their heart on their sleeve and sing or comment on real events that actually happened to them. They're not just making it up. They're not just making up stories. There's a different level about singing about something that hasn't happened as singing about something that has happened. And I think they, you know, it's almost that difference between like fiction and nonfiction. So Mm -hmm. if you're making songs about abuse, songs about your parents breaking up, about your friends trying to kill themselves, that to me is quite hard hitting. And And I suppose on a, on a, retrospective level the the lyrics on this album are pretty dark very very dark yeah and i think you i can it makes me take or leave the album i, I kind of need to be in the mood to, to to listen to that like once uh one song i didn't really realize the content of it thrown away is actually about jacoby's younger brother who has adhd okay and is autistic as well and essentially right. was he's he's the younger three brothers and it was a massive challenge for the parents to, to to sort of process and deal deal with for lack of a better word but you know like manage and, and and raise this child and apparently they got to a point where it was can we keep this child do we have to section him like can, can we keep this child safe and, and and raise him or are we not able to do this and, and do we essentially have to wow. throw away this child so listening to that and, and actually having those lyrics um, sort of come through, I was just a bit like, fuck, fucking hell. So, um, yeah, it's funny as kids, you just sort of listen to the music and, you know, have, have your own meaning of things, but then realize, well, fucking hell, some of this stuff's a bit, bit heavier than you thought. Totally. And it's, I, I think, I mean, then you got, I'm just thinking at the end of, of like Blood Brothers is, as well, it's, it's in our nature to destroy ourselves. It's in our nature to kill ourselves. And it's in our nature to kill each other. It's yeah, it's it's that's it's one of those albums that actually, you know, on retrospect, it it probably does chime a lot. It it definitely chimes with that 14, 15 year old inside of you that was young and angsty and might have had some misgivings about the world at the time that you just could only express by listening to music that your mum and dad would hate. They, you know, there's Yeah, entirely. Um so how how did the album perform actually? Because we've we've kind of touched on some things about ourselves and what it did. What you mentioned that it did well for th- three times platinum, but I'm just trying to put myself in the in the position of, of the 2000s. How did it do against albums like Significant Other or uh, other albums out that would have came out around the same time, like Issues? What was the well ratio? I'm glad you sent me that question before we recorded because I've got the numbers. So good, good. Um, we've got we've got Infest coming out in 2000. So I've compared it to to Corn and Chocolate Starfish. It okay. It does. I think it holds its own, but it doesn't really compete. If you know what I mean. So the closest album for Corn was Issues in 1999. I can't believe Issues was 99. But I thought that was way later than that. Me too. Me fucking too. But hold on. Was there that much of a gap between issues and Follow the Leader? Oh, what was the No, what was the next album called? Untouchables. Untouchables. Was there that big a gap? That was two thousand two, two or three. That was two thousand and one. 
wow, was Untouchables that early? Wow. Yeah, because they toured and played Glasgow on the 11th of September 2001. And I was there at SECC. Interesting. So, right. And then I've got it against Chocolate Starfish as well. So both Infest and Issues went three times platinum. Only, I'm I'm not, it's not clear how quickly Infest did it, but um, Korn did it pretty quickly. Okay. I've realised I've not actually written it down. I think Korn did it in like three months. Whereas Infest did it in... Yeah, they, in their first week they sold over 500,000 copies. Jeez, oh. So Korn did it pretty... Porn? Porn went triple platinum. I think a lot quicker than, than what Infest did. Chocolate Starfish went six times platinum. Goodness. Wow. Really? Yeah, Chocolate Rolling. Starfish. For, uh, yeah, no, as soon as, as soon as I said that, I was just like, Roland. Roland was on repeat for, like, just years. I think that if I if, if they reinstated MTV2 and Kerrang! this minute, that would be the song that would be on every 15 minutes, even today. Probably. Like, even, like, the thing that always used to surprise me, like, the, the Kerrang! channel, was these were requests. There were people requesting this song. They started off as requests, maybe, but where they fuck requests? Like, but I think I think I remember Kerrang! going to, like, all right, now it's, like, 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. Now it's request hour. Like, essentially, they just started doing, like, their own programming of, like, here's three hours of... Uh, fucking pop punk here's like three hours yeah. of like new metal classics and stuff like that like it it started off initially as um remember the box it was the the box i was about to say it was like the, the box magic q did they have a channel oh no um enemy had a channel did they not no i don't think so there was a lot of magazines that basically had channels and they all played by the same sort of formula which was this sort of four yeah, jukebox feel to them where yeah, you could send a text. Well, it wasn't even, was it send a text message or you could phone a premium rate number and request it. But basically there was a time when it was still a request channel and this was, the Roland was just on every fucking 10 minutes. Like, yeah. brutal. Well, Chocolate Starfish out of this is just, just dominates. Like, no doubt. Neither no of them. Doubt. Corn and, or sorry, yeah, yeah, Infest and, and Issues are similar but Chocolate Starfish is just fucking miles away. So just the only, the numbers I've got are for the weekly chart positions. So um, Infest got to number five in the weekly chart. Issues in corn, issues in, in Starfish got to number one. The wow. the end of two thousand, um, Infest was at twenty seven, and Corn was at nineteen, uh, and yep. Chocolate Starfish was thirty four. End of two thousand one. Infest was 116 and Chocolate Starfish was 5. So... Jeez, that says enough, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think Infest had a good swing, had a good go at it and did did some good numbers. Corn Issues was, was alright. It's it, You know, it was released in 99 so I've not, it didn't have an 89 end of year chart. But yeah, it compared to something like Chocolate Starfish didn't, didn't really compete. That's amazing. That's, that's interesting to know that, especially given how popular songs like last resort were but when you really and i suppose in between between angels and insects as well that was on a lot mm-hmm. but yeah limp biscuit were the kings of the genre this is chocolate starfish this is this is their second album they they are coming off of significant other significant other was what 98 99 
and which uh, has their biggest songs on it as well. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, Nuki and fucking break stuff, break stuff. But yeah. then they came out with My Generation and Rolling and Take a Look Around. So, yeah, but no, I mean, no, no, whoa, 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 no, no, Take a Look Around. Was that not the? What was the name of the one that they did for the Mission Impossible Two? Take a Look Around. That was not on Chocolate Starfish. Uh, it's on Spotify. No way. Way they've added it in. Raging. I bought. I get, we'll talk about this right. at the time. Oh, we're gonna but, we're gonna come back to this. We're gonna put a pin in it. We're gonna put a pin in this, and we're gonna talk about this another time. Fucking love that song. Limp Bizkit. Uh, sorry, Papa Roach toured um, uh, in two thousand. They did uh, Vans Warped and Anger Management with Limp Bizkit. So you've seen Papa Roach live, haven't you? Uh, yeah, in two thousand one, apparently. I thought it was two thousand three. Apparently, it was two thousand one. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just just to end on that then when it comes to performance and stuff like that. You essentially had two two massive two thousands rock albums, metal albums, and mm-hmm. Papa Roach and Limp Bizkit, and they did Anger Management that year, so that must have been fucking massive. But um, yeah, my first gig was Papa Roach. My first ever. Yeah, no, no, I was about to say my first ever metal show. Like it, I had never been to a musical performance before this. This was my first gig, and it was Papa Roach at the Barrowlands in 2001, 30th of May. Wow. That must have been really intimidating. Uh, no, I, I, I kind of loved it. I was the... Okay. I, I was the intro... Like, you know, I was the introvert. I was the, the quiet kid. The kind of stereotypically nerdy, geeky guy. I mean, I wasn't like... I didn't do well at school or whatever. I kind of would say I hung around with some of the popular guys and stuff like that, but like I wasn't like the center of attention or anything. But fuck me, when it came to music like this, that's where I started to express myself a little bit more and kind of came out my okay. shell a little bit more. And this is what sort of helped me become the person I am. Um, and yeah, I went for this show hard. Like I, I didn't even think I was going to get to go. I had to ask my mum. It was in Glasgow. It was. You know, it was. Is it, how did you get there? What was the what was, was the the travel arrangements? Yeah, it was exactly. We did travel <laughs> arrangements. It was forty five minutes down the um down the M eight. Like I wasn't I wasn't the rag kid that would just say fuck you, mom. I'm going to this gig. Like I had to ask for permission. So um yeah, me and my friend Ollie Ollie Wilkes went. Um, just me and him. His I think it was his mom, his dad, his parents drove us in. They hung around Glasgow and they took us home. Wow, that's really nice that you had that set up. I remember this show coming around and not going. Why? And my reasons for not going were there was a rumour circulating. A rumour! Rumour that we would not be allowed in because we were under 16 at the time. Okay. And apparently they were IDing people on the way in to ensure they were over 16. Now, how how someone knew this... Months before the gig, obviously, before we even bought tickets. It is beyond me, or whether they'd been to a show at the same venue and they'd come across problems, I don't know. But there was this vicious rumour that circulated that you had to be over 16 to get in. I was under 16 at the time. And the... like, I was like, I don't even... At the time, I was like, I don't even have a passport. I don't have a driving licence. How do I prove my age when I'm under 16? Well, you am I gonna am I gonna have to go to a venue with a birth certificate in my pocket? <laughs> please Genuine, tell me this is. Oh, please tell me you attempted it or something. I didn't even attempt. No, oh, no, no, no I didn't. Sake. I didn't even attempt. It. Sorry, sorry, sorry to burst your bubble on that one. Any anyone who was listening at home, the 
the I just didn't buy a ticket. There was just so much uncertainty. And then there was that question of, of travel arrangements. I didn't have that mum and dad of like a friend who would be prepared to take us there and pick us up and bring us back. And it wasn't really until I learned to drive when I was 17, when I started really going to shows on my own. Mm-hmm. I think I'd been at a show, I'd been to a couple of shows where I was able to kind of convince dad, will you come and pick me up? And, you know, I just had to ask. I just had to get myself there usually, which wasn't so much of a problem. But I always had to ask and it always had to be when my dad wasn't working the next day or something like that, which was totally reasonable. Now that I think about it as a 30-year-old, I'm like, yeah, fuck. yeah. Uh, as, as long as I'm not working. As a 35-year-old? As, as a 30-something. Uh, oh, right, 30-something. <laughs> as a 20-something. Any at any age, getting picked yeah. up from a venue is a pain in the hoop, and I recognise that more since picking up friends from venues after gigs, yeah. doing them a favour. That it's like, wow, that is really awkward, because especially when the venues, depending on the size of the venue, you don't know what door you're going to come out of, or you're going to be walking around the place for several hours, or sometimes trying to find where your friends, mum and dad, have parked and so forth. So having Having uh, a good solid base with with them has probably been really good for that. So that was that would have been a a great show. Who was the supporting act? Do you remember them? I think it was Alien Ant Farm. I can't quite clearly remember to be honest. It's I googled it. Uh, I found the date, thirtieth of May. I just couldn't find specifically who supported on a bunch of websites. They didn't know, but. On the 29th of May, so the, the night before, they played in Newcastle with Alien Ant Farm. And they were, yeah. on the 26th of May, they had done Ozfest. So that's why they were in the UK. They were just sort of doing, right. I, I don't know, did you get that in, in around about Newcastle where uh, definitely in Glasgow, like if Ozfest or Download later on was in the UK, you would get some bands just filling in one or two dates around those 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 sort of bigger performances? <laughs> Yeah, totally. It was it was a, a done thing, especially for international bands. If they've yeah. come to the UK, show like Ozfest, which was usually incorporated into Download, um, you would get those shows, especially end of May, beginning of June. Right? So Download is usually the first weekend in June. I've never been. So, so you'd usually find these gigs of, of various bands like taking place, but they also might be supporting themselves, giving themselves kind of a bit of bit of chance to to sort of. Um, spread their wings a bit and, and get around. Um, I know that in, in Newcastle, Newcastle was always a surprise if I saw it on a gig venue list, on a, on a, on a, on a, um, on a tour, sorry. So it always felt like tours would go to Glasgow, London, Manchester. Yeah. And living in the northeast of England, that sucks because that's, Two and a half hours to Glasgow at least. Mm-hmm. It's two from coming from Newcastle. It's about two and a bit hours to Manchester, or five and a bit hours down to London. So you talk, you know, all three of those options. Not only are you paying for the gig ticket, you're paying for a hotel and the transport in between. And that, as a, as a fourteen, fifteen year old, that just ain't gonna swing. Yeah. Unless you've got a parent alongside you. I absolutely loved living in Glasgow. I lived in Glasgow for about two, two and a half years. And just the access to gigs was incredible. It was so good. I mean, it was a bit of a pain in the ass being in Livy or Edinburgh and having to drive through. But um, 
you know living in Glasgow at the time was just was just really fucking good. But um, yeah, I, I want to say if Alien Ant Farm supported, I would have remembered that because I liked Alien Ant Farm at the time. Alien Ant Farm have a song on their first album, and it is it's great. It's not you know it's not any of the singles they released. I can't fucking remember what it was called. Um, was it was it um, was it called Wish? Right, we'll need to find it with you is or that something. The one? It kind of starts off with like a a, a pick sort of like. Oh yeah, that that narrows it right down, Keith. Thank you. Well, I mean, if you don't for that for that vocal karaoke that you've just given us, for fuck's sake, that's brought it right. If you didn't get it, then there's maybe no help for you, mate. Give me one. No, there's not. Give me one. Oh, they were also in DreamWorks. Well, that maybe explains why. They oh, t- interesting. That maybe explains band. why they toured together, right? Anthology it does indeed. And it was called. It was called Wish. British selves. I, the the word I said earlier. Fantastic. Did you say Wish? I named it as Wish. You can listen back to the recording. It's called Wish. It's on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Three. <laughs> I can put another one to. Um, Again, I based so much of my listening habits on the games that I played. Clearly. Yeah. I would pore over the credits of a booklet to find the names of artists that were on the games I was playing. Right. It's not Wish. Oh, no, I changed the story. It's called Attitude. I'll take your word for it. I've never listened to Anthology. It was never my bag. Track 7, called Attitude. Fucking really nice song if you go back to that. Four or five minutes long, Jesus Christ. Attitudes. I literally listened to two Alien Ant Farm songs in my entire life. Really? And we've already just named one of them, and the other one was Smooth Criminal, because good luck escaping that one in 2001. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I listened to that album. I didn't really stay with them, but um, Attitude by Alien Ant Farm is a gem. The reason I bring up Smooth Criminal by Alien Ant Farm is... It could officially be the first song I ever performed live. And it was the Alien Ant Farm version. No, I can't laugh in the mic. <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? Oh my God. <laughs> Brilliant. What? Yeah. Yeah, the first first ever band that I that I was in. And you were an Alien Ant Farm cover band. We didn't Alien. We didn't know we weren't an Alien Ant Farm cover band. Well, we just did an Alien Ant Farm cover. First song. I mean, we did. We did what songs did we do? We did two, and that was one of them. Oh, the other one. Oh yeah, get this. The other song was Madness, Baggy Trousers. Oh, of course it was. Good. I mean, Lord. so there we go. So we've done. I mean, there we go. There's 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 the caliber of what we were doing, and that was just just kids just performing. But we, yeah, that was the first, like, the first two songs I ever performed live were Madness, Baggy Trousers, and Alien Ant Farms, Smooth Criminal. I think another guitarist that I had checked out was the guitarist from Alien Ant Farm, also produced by Jay Baumgartner. Um, No surprises there. No surprises there. One day I will tell you about my first ever performance, and it wasn't Smooth Criminal. (laughs) Good to know. I'm surprised it's not given that response when I told you what mine was. 
Um, <laughs> one one last thing. I think we've been talking enough shit about Infest. Yes, yeah. Um, one last thing about the Infest gig, uh, and it was something I took with me or stayed with me for a good few years. Was I'd seen an interview with um, Jacoby prior to going to the gig because you know I was just like hoovering up all the the, the videos and interviews and footage you could get of the band at the time. And uh, he, he told a story about how he'd gone into a pit and lost his shoe. And he was fucking hell, I've just lost my shoe. So he started to, like, tape his shoes to his feet. So I just I just did the same so thing. So you, st- you started doing that, didn't you? 14-year-old Keith got the electrical tape out. Thanks, Dad. Straight from the toolbox. And, uh, yeah, just, just I, I taped my feet to my shoes. Or my shoes to my feet. And um, never lost a shoe at a gig. Bless you. Never been that. <laughs> you, you nailed it. <laughs> never been that dickhead to walk home with one shoe or or no shoes because of Jacoby Shaddix. Thanks very much, Jacoby. I owe there that, we go, I Jacoby. Owe that if, you. if you're listening, Keith owes you many shoes that he didn't lose. Yes, I think I was wearing. There we go. I think I had some shell toes. Real, real Run DMC. You know what I mean? Mm. Right. Mm. That's uh, that's it. That, that kind of covers Infest for me. I could I could talk more shite about it, but um, do you want to know how they got their name? Papa Roach. Yeah. Go on. Give me give me the short version. He Jacoby named the band after his step grandfather, Bill Roach. Papa Roach. R O A T C H Roach. So there you go. Okay. Fair enough. That's interesting factoid. He thought the Thank name for that. He thought the name was quirky, like his heroes, Mr. Bungle. And he thought cockroaches were cool. So all of that came together. But I think it was mostly after the, the step grandfather Bill Roach. So Little, Very good little, to know. Little tip bit at the end there for you. A little bit of tip at the end from yeah, Jacoby Shaddix. Take, I was going to say, take that one into your next pub quiz or your Zoom quiz, whatever you're up to these days. Let me ask you this: Are you going to ever going to go back to Invest? No, yeah. flat out. No, I will. I will maybe go back to Blood Brothers, and I know for a fact when things return to the way they were, and we were if there is ever a night out and something like Last Resort. Or between angels and uh, between insects and angels. No, you're right. First time between angels and insects. angels and insects. I was about to say angels and airwaves. I'm like, no, not that band. If that if that song comes on, I know that I will be very likely on the dance floor screaming my lungs out. But totally. until that time comes, there is a very, 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 very low chance that I will revisit this album in the next six to twelve months. Yeah, I think I'm the same. I I, I think I've refreshed my appreciation of the album and it was definitely something that shaped me as an angsty little teenager and like I, I totally thank Papa Roach for that. Like it's I think it's a good album. I think it's a great album. Um I didn't I didn't stay with Papa Roach. I th- I, I kinda of feel after this they lost a bit of their edge, they lost a bit of punch and then they kinda of went glam after this as well and things got weird. But you know Infest right. itself is still stands as as probably you know one of my earliest influences, um, and I'll always all every time I hear Angels and Insects, I'll always turn that up. But yeah, I think cool. I'm, I, th- I think this has been a nice revisit. But I can uh, I can probably put Infest to bed and say I've I've sort of moved on. Good for you. I'm pleased that you were able to attend this session where we talked about <laughs> your obsession with infest is that is that what we're doing is this is this actually some form of counseling for our for this each is other? therapy is this therapy for each other we're just going back and forth over over what shaped us as as children fucking hell totally 
Totally is. We're doing this again, aren't we? Um, hopefully, if people are listening. Cool. We're going to at least try a couple more episodes, aren't we? You're next. Definitely. You're next, bud. What, what, what are you going to hit us with? I'm going to hit you with another classic, and this one you're not going to... You, you personally, I know, already hate this album, but I'm going to make you listen to it anyway. Okay. Next time, uh-huh. we're going to talk about... You know. White Pony by Deftones. Oh, son of a bitch. Great. Can't, <laughs> can't wait. Ooh, oh, selling it, Keith. Ooh, Deftones. Let's listen to that whiny little bitch complain more on a mic. Oh, cool. Okay, great. Love it. Can't wait to let everyone hear your view on things. People who know <laughs> me, people who know my music tastes know I do not give a single fuck about Deftones. While everyone else bends over backwards to give him a fucking reach around. I do not like Deftones. Well, there's the third episode just recorded. Thank you very much. <laughs> Great. Are we wrapping it up? Are we good to go? Yeah, take us home. Take it. All right, well, let's cock it and rock it and take it home. Thanks for listening. This has been a live or just blethering. Head over to our Instagram and Twitter at AOGB Podcast for our latest, for all our latest updates. Next time on a live or just blethering. Lav is taking us through fucking shite pony by cunt Good fight, good night. (laughs) Thanks very much. Good night.